Welcome to Ramble City. Hello and welcome to another episode of everybody's favourite podcast. The podcast the people love. The podcast people listen to in their cars and on buses. Radley McCaw here. Thank you so much for tuning in to episode, well, 22. Episode 22. Um, very excited, as usual, to bring you this episode. Uh, before we, we get to that, I, th- I think I'll just... Uh, let's catch you up on everything that's been happening in my world. Well, things have been blazing, uh, blazing along since the release of of someone like you a fortnight ago. Uh, I spent um, some time in Sydney, Australia, promoting the song, doing some television and doing some radio with Paulini, um, who sings on the song. If you haven't heard the song and you're listening, you know, the link's in the show notes, of course. Uh it was really interesting to be doing, you know, some press again for a song in a post-COVID kind of world. You know, we'd we'd been so used, you know, I think musicians so used to just putting stuff out and kind of just it having a, a digital result. So it was really interesting to be out and be talking to people one-on-one and 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 you know, answering questions while looking someone directly in the eye. And it was so much fun to just trounce around with Paulini and get to sing the song a few times. We'd only sung the song together the one time, you know, in the studio or the one night together in the studio when we were recording it. And then that was it. So uh, it was a lot of fun, a lot of fun and lots more coming with that. But look, that's enough of that for now. Let's get to this week's guest. Let's hear, uh, let's hear from who we're talking about this week. Cue the organs, line up the football cheering audiences because today's guest has a pretty incredible story to tell you. His name is Jose McLaughlin. He's a multi-instrumentalist and composer and he is a former member of uh, one world-famous group called Jerry and the Pacemakers. He has worked with the Doobie Brothers, with Chuck Berry, Peter Allen, Bo Diddley. I mean, the Bo Diddley and look, so many more so many more artists. Jose and I, we spoke together. This was actually the very first episode of Ramble City and we're revamping it for the new version of the show for our YouTube channel and for for this condensed episode that you're hearing today. He's since us recording this episode released a wonderful book called Journeyman and that is available via the show notes uh, where all great things come to pass and be found, the Ramble City show notes. And during our chat, we, we talk about him starting out in Liverpool as a child. We really get into the Mersey Beat scene in the 60s and the great musical tradition that gave us acts like the Beatles and the Strangers and, you know, the British invasion that eventually went around the world and started a global phenomenon of a fashion and, and music and, and really did change the charts and the music that we were listening to. So it's a chat that I was so excited to have, to learn about music history and to hear from Jose in terms of how he approached playing as a musician, as a piano player. And eventually, if you wait till the end of the chat, he tells an incredible story about how You Never Walk Alone, the song of the Jerry the Pacemakers, became the theme song um, for one, one football team 
in the in in the UK, and I found that really really interesting and insightful too. So. Can't wait for you to get the episode. I think I should stop rambling along and let's get to uh, today's episode with one Jose McLaughlin. Welcome to Ramble City. The area of Liverpool that I grew up in was called Everton, uh, which they've now completely demolished and destroyed. The memories that come back are the community, the sense of humour, uh, the camaraderie. So it wasn't a bleak, a bleak place to live particularly. It was. It, oh, was on, a... In hindsight, it was. Yeah. In hindsight, it would be. It was exactly how you'd imagine a northern town to be. It was grimy. It was cold. Um, I don't remember a lot of sunshine when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, in actual fact, when I think back to the early days in Liverpool, in my thoughts, I see it in black and white yeah, wow. and not colour. It's interesting. Yeah, and that's what it seemed like, you know. And when did you find music? Was it in, at home? Yes, it was at home. My mother was a really good piano player. And my mother, her name was Teresa. And she, was, um, she could play in the style of Fats Waller or Art Tatum or classical music. In actual fact, her brother and her sisters were all great piano players. Wow. And I remember from virtually the time I was born, my mum always playing the piano and me being absolutely fascinated by it. I, I was a listener, you know? Yeah. Did it get to a point where you went, oh, no, that's what I want to do? Was it when you were still young or did that take some time before you discovered? No, it was actually, uh, unfortunately, uh, my mother died when I was six. In the old days, uh, because the weather was so bad, they used to have washing lines actually inside the house in the kitchen. Yeah, right. And my mum had filled the washing line up with clothes and pulled it off and something must have given way and the whole lot came down and hit her on the head. And they think that's what possibly caused a tumour. Mm. Uh, I don't think it was cancerous, I think it was benign. Yeah. And she went into hospital to have it removed and they stuffed up the operation and she died. I was six, and apart from losing my mum, the most noticeable thing in my life was the fact that there was no piano music anymore. There was no music anymore. There was no piano. I mean, the instrument was still there, but the music wasn't. So is that when you... So I decided that I'd, yeah, continue my mum's, yeah. Well, that's a really beautiful story. <laughs> I'm really getting, I'm getting a bit emotional about it, actually. Yeah. I can just see the, the little, you know, the little boy getting up and playing that piano. And I just, um, I, I just started picking out notes on the piano until I could form things and then I'd hear things on the radio and try and play it on the piano and without realising what I was doing, I was starting to build my ear on my sense of relative pitch, you know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mary. <laughs> Do you remember the first song you played? Oh, it was there. Uh, I, I don't. I don't know if it has a name. It's just called a vamp. Yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Um, my dad showed me how to play that actually, because he could play a bit of guitar, and I just 
kept going. So I'd go, like, when I'd come home from school at the end of the day, where other kids would go out and play football in the streets, I'd go to the piano and sit there and try and pick, pick things out all the time until I got eventually better and better and better at, it, at doing it, yeah. It amazes me because the when I looked back um, just about that the time of music through the 1950s and into the 1960s and I guess the, the end of the 40s that we're talking about now too, that you know Liverpool was a place that was around for the, for the port, yeah. like as in the harbour, not the, the drink particularly. Yeah. And uh, it turned into this this place that was known for this this fashion and this sound. Yeah. Do you remember a time where it started? You noticed changes, or you noticed, or was it just all of a sudden? I mean, because you ended up right in the thick of it, and all these different bands around that time. Oh, right? eventually, yeah. But yeah. It, of course, it was a steady progression. Of course, you know. which you don't really realise at the time. No, you don't realise that at the time. And I mean, round about this time when I was starting to pick out tunes on the piano. Um, L Liverpool was a huge dock. Um, it was a huge seafaring. It was the main port uh, that dealt with trade with the United States. Where the docks were weren't in actual fact very far from where I lived. So it would be possible to walk down the hill from where I lived in Everton and end up on the dock, what we call the dock road, where all the uh, factories would be and the ships and the and the river Mersey was right there so it's kind of like it was in your part of your being it was in your lungs you know it was yeah, yeah. where we lived we had um, it was a, a house that was built over what used to be an old shop and my dad at the time he, after the war after he got out the Navy he decided he was going to convert this shop into a cafe which he did uh, became quite a focal point in the local area, so a lot of people used to come to the cafe. And he loved music, and he loved uh, particularly um, blues, uh, American blues and jazz and stuff like that. So once people started coming into his cafe, some of the people that came in were merchant seamen who used to do this trip between Liverpool and the United States. And what he'd get them to do while they were over in the States was get records for him that you couldn't get in England and they'd bring them back. He'd play them and of course I'd hear them, you know? So I was hearing lots of stuff before Liverpool became this Merseybeat centre. Because you, know? you weren't just going onto Spotify at the time and just no, streaming it? No, I wasn't, no, yeah, no, right. I wasn't Googling it or anything, yeah, no. Wow. <laughs> How One of the things I've been thinking about listening back to a lot of the music, just of, of the, the Mercy sound and all that, is that the differences between the the grimy sort of dirty gut bucket blues of that time that turned into this kind kind of standing up straight kind of it's still jovial and it's still yeah you know but it's certainly not as down home Don't, no it isn't is no it? no it's a bit more theatrical in a sense was there something about the people that of the personality you think that that lent itself to that in a way like possibly yeah I, th there was the music by the time it got to the um, mid to late 50s in liverpool um there was a lot of jazz there was a, a lot of people like jazz and in actual fact the cavern club was originally a jazz club but that seemed to be too uh, way out of people's reach 
uh, as regards being able to par participate in that. And it wasn't until people like um, Lonnie Donegan started coming out with a, a type of music that was called skiffle, which is kind of like a very happy-go-lucky kind of almost country and western trad jazz kind of mix, you know, <laughs> that people felt that, oh, well, I could do that because all you need to do is go out and buy a very cheap guitar, get your mother's washboard, <laughs> so get a, a tea chest with a broom handle on it and a piece of string tied <laughs> tightly, and you can make all these sounds, you know? Which is, in actual fact, what the uh, quarry bank, uh, the quarry men were, which is uh, John Lennon's first group. They were a skiffle group. There was lots of these skiffle groups around which were later to develop into the groups that we knew uh, from the Merseybeat scene. The thing about Liverpool is it's called the capital of comedy. Everybody's a comedian. Everybody is. So it doesn't matter what you do there. It's injected with some sense of humour and some sense of self-deprecation, yeah, right. you know? Yeah. And I think, and also Liverpool was a really poor place. It was totally avoided by people down south. London, Liverpool, never heard of it, you know? Right. It was kind of one of those places, even though it was important uh, financially as regards um, the mar marine stuff, it was totally disregarded as kind of like any social meaning or whatever. So because it was cut off so much from the rest of the country, particularly down south, Liverpool just went ahead and did its own thing without anybody else kind of noticing, wow. you know? So all these skiffle groups developed and then they eventually decided to get electric guitars instead of cheap ones and proper basses and drums. And um, what was happening to us with the records coming in from the States was happening to lots of other people. So they were hearing, you know, uh, Chuck Berry and all that stuff when the BBC wasn't playing it. But just one thing led to another, and all, and all of a sudden you've got these groups playing American R&B and rock and roll in <laughs> with a Liverpool accent. <laughs> <laughs> the natural progression for American folk music. And how did, it, how did it go from that to then getting the call from, to, to join Jerry and the Pacemakers? Do you remember, was, was you circulating in lots of different acts and just becoming a hired gun and a session player? Is, was that the progression? I suppose so. I, I went through quite a few bands in Liverpool before I got there. Jerry, I read somewhere, sorry to interrupt, I read somewhere that between 1958 and 63, there was something like 500 different bands that would form and reform. Oh, the, try a thousand. How, yeah. How, and so the, 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 the size of Liverpool was what? It wasn't that big. It was like 300 a, square kilometres, wasn't it? Like, it was about 800,000 people, I think. Eight or wow. 900,000 people. Um, that's a lot of bands, isn't it? That's a lot of bands. It exploded. Yeah, yeah, it really did explode, yeah. And there were what started out as um, these little bands playing in, uh, well, there was a limited number of clubs, I suppose. There was the Cavern, the Iron Door, um, clubs in town for them to play. But all of a sudden, to accommodate these bands, there's an expansion of... Um, Halls, uh, pubs, all kinds of places all of a sudden sprang up that were putting on dances more or less every night of the week. 
throughout Liverpool. So everybody was working, everybody was gigging. Yeah. And everybody was bouncing off one another and learning from one another, you know? Yeah. And if you weren't playing, you'd go and listen to somebody else and you'd pick something up. Oh, they're doing that, you know? Do that too. So when I, uh, uh, the Mercy beat, I ignorantly just thought that that was just literally like a Bo Diddley beat or like a shuffle beat. No. And it was actually a newspaper. Oh, no, 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 I've, I forget what came first. So was the Mercy beat named after the Mercy sound, was it? Yeah, yeah it right. was the Mercy sound. Yeah. And then Bill Harry, to complement this, formed a, a weekly newspaper called, uh, two separate words, Mercy beat, Mercy. like a policeman's beat, yeah. which is Mercy beat. And he would report on the goings on of what was happening in Liverpool with all the groups and stuff like that. And yeah, be, wow. there'd be, you know, features and tittle-tattle and rumours and all, I, all kinds of things that well, met Well, that I found this. I'm gonna, I want to see if you can guess this. So 1962, I keep saying Mercy. Yeah. Mercy. Mercy. As if it's a Z, Grant yeah. me Mercy, Lord. Held a poll to find out who was the most popular Merseyside group. And these were the, uh, the results were announced on the 4th of January, 1962. So I've got 20 bands. Do you think you can remember, how many do you think you can remember? Or guess? All right. Three I'll, is an okay list. You uh, know, if, if, you can un, if you can only remember Well, obviously three. the Beatles, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Yep, so that's one, two. Uh, in the, 1962, the, right. they, so neither were really worldwide at that point no, in time. No, So this is back when they were still unknown. So there would have been, one, uh, there would have been, the Mersey Beats would be in there. Not that I can see. The Undertakers. Yes, number 12. Farron's Flamingos. Yes, number nine. Mojo's. Uh, not that I can see, but it could be my um, eyes. Yeah. I mean, like, look at the, the rest of that list. I thought that was really... Oh, of course, King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. They're one of the originals. The big three. Yeah, Ian and the Zodiacs. Yeah, Carl Terry and the Cruisers. Yeah. And there's another thing that I found, which was another, I think it was in 1972. I should have actually wrote this down, but I didn't. It was that there were at the top of the charts uh, in this particular time, it was five acts all from Liverpool. So one of them was a Lennon single. I think one of them was a McCartney single. One was um, Frankie Goes to Hollywood. Like all these, uh, I don't. I think a lot of people think about Germany first when they think about the Beatles, and then they sort of think a little bit about Liverpool. But it really is, there seems to be something really unique and kind of... Uh, that circulated globally from Liverpool, you know, that sound, you know, the same way we think about the, the South and Nashville and the sounds of Memphis and, you know. Well, looking at this list, uh, the Beatles would have been the most popular, but they wouldn't have been the best musical yeah. out of all those groups. Um, the Big Three were considered, and the Remo Four were considered really musical, uh, as were The Undertakers. Um, yeah, King Size Taylor and the Dominoes. There was a lot of really, really good musical groups there, but you know, they weren't the ones who were taken on by Brian Epstein and promoted and had the, given the chance to kind of progress. And before we sort of move on to sort of Jerry and pacemakers and getting out of Liverpool, I guess, or and, and travelling and all that sort of stuff, but was was the fashion really everyone dressed the same at that particular point in time? From what you remember, did everyone have that hair and doing that kind of Beatles look? Was that kind of? Uh, 
Because it progressed very quickly, didn't it, to then like the swing in 60s and everything kept evolving quite quickly, didn't it? In Liverpool, I mean, back in the early days, everybody wore Cuban heel boots, beetle boots. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Usually um, a waistcoat over a shirt. Yeah. Um, Moderately long hair, not what you'd call long these days, but... Where does yours land currently? Oh, longer than what it would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's like she, a bit bobby, wasn't it? Yeah. She, more short back, you know, not short back and sides, long compared to short back yeah, and yeah, sides, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I suppose um, everybody throughout the country just changed as the fashion changed yeah. throughout the 60s. Yeah. The fashion centre was always London. Yeah, right. Not Liverpool. The um, the groups had a certain look from Liverpool, which everybody copied for a while. So if uh, groups were coming up from Manchester or Birmingham or something like that, and they wanted to kind of join in on this wave of popularity of northern groups, they would endeavour to look like Liverpool groups. Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay. So tight jeans, beetle boots, white shirts, vests, long yeah. hair. Yeah. Uh, and even try and put on a Liverpool accent like that, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not even going to try, we've both heard my accent. <laughs> it's really, really hopeless. Uh, Alright, so you, you joined um, during the Pace Methods? Not till a bit later. During the Pace Methods, had a couple of years before. Yes. I joined. Yeah. In the meantime, I was still coming up through the ranks of the groups in Liverpool. Yeah. Till I got to the point where. Um, when the pacemakers needed a new piano player, I was the obvious choice. Yes, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, so it got to the point where you were essentially next in line. Yes, in the scene. Yeah, next in line. Yeah. 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 The young one, next in line, joining the band, yeah. And did you already know all the all the the, the, the charts that had already been previously recorded? All their hits and all that? Had they been part of your catalogue at that point? No, but I just knew them from here from the records. So I could just start playing them straight away. Yeah. Yeah, I could just start playing them straight away, so there was no problem there. I knew all the songs. And what was it like um, joining that act and and, and starting that? What was that like? It just felt like it. It it just felt like it was a normal progression that was that ever since I first started learning to play and coming up through the early groups in Liverpool, it just felt like a normal progression. That it felt right. It felt that that's the way it should be that it got to that plateau. I didn't know all of it. So it was never like an overnight kind of jump to something you go, wow, I'm really, I shouldn't be here playing to these no. crowds or this club. It was just like the next and the next thing. Yeah. So I felt really... The very first thing I did was tour Australia. Yeah. That was exciting. That, um, the whole international thing, you know, and recording and the band was still popular. And yeah. I, n- I never at any stage felt like, oh shit, all of a sudden I'm a pop star. Yeah. It was just like this natural musical progression. Yeah, and now right. I was in this group from Liverpool that everybody knew. You know? Yeah, wow. Yeah. Okay. Some of the first recordings I did were actually for uh, the BBC. Which is one of the ones that's... Was that, is that one of the ones that's just been re-released now? That's it's just been released. Yeah. And uh, some of the first recordings I did with, for the BBC where we used to, um, used to go down to London and record live for BBC shows whether it was Saturday Club or uh, John Peel or whatever, 
and we'd record. And they'd, they'd go to air, and then that'd be it. Yeah. And um, it's strange because 50 odd years later, they've gone into the BBC archives, dug up these Jerry and the Pacemakers recordings, and have issued them on an album. And they sound great. I was listening to them today. Yeah? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Well, it's Thin Lizzy, isn't it? That kicks off the, or was it Good Gosh, Miss Molly? Dizzy, 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 Dizzy Miss Lizzy, yeah. I can't remember if it was yeah. Molly or Lizzy. Yeah. And I got to re-record um, You'll Never Walk Alone with them, yeah. Which was, yeah. Was it a, a vastly different arrangement? No, same arrangement. I think it's the one they actually play at Anfield. Wow. Yeah, for the Liverpool games. So it was really a really nice surprise when all of a sudden this happens. This Jerry after this new record. I, it's, it's not a it's not um, it's not a reissue. Yeah, it's just these things have never been released before. It's actually a first time release on a on a Jerry and the Pacemakers album about fifty years later. Yeah, but other than that, it was just like uh, any other recording situation. You'd go in. Yeah. You know, set up, play, yeah. get it right, do it a few takes, get it right. It was n normally all done in the background. Yeah, it was just all in. Yeah. It was just all in. Um, first time recorded, it would have been vocals as well. So more or less a live situation. But later on, vocals were over would be overdubbed. Yeah. But the music would all be played at the same time. And the only do overdubs would be things like if strings were going to be added and something like that. But that usually meant somebody just standing in the studio, uh, leaning over the piano with a, some manuscript and a pencil, writing some stuff out. Oh, can you call the string guy, tell the string guys to be here about four o'clock? Yeah, okay. And they'd all come in saying, yeah, we do can do this. Okay. It would all be recorded by 4.30. By five o'clock, it would have been placed into the track and they'd be mixing it. and. <laughs> you, you, you'd have finished the record by about half past five, six o'clock that day. And then everybody would knock off. Because you, you worked strict times in studios those days, especially if it was uh, the BBC or Abbey Road or anything like that. And nobody was allowed to touch any equipment other than the people in the white coats. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> they were the technicians. And they, they were moved yeah. <laughs> they, moved, they moved everything around, you know? <laughs> it has changed tremendously. With the advent of digital technology, it's changed completely. You know? Yeah. And you talked about the um that that the that the You'll Never Walk Alone that you played on is the, the one that you believe they're playing yeah. Um, at what was yeah. at um, Anfield. Anfield. That surprised me that that song was so meant so much to to to, to the fans of football. Like I understand why, but when I first uh, heard the, the singing along, it seemed to be an unlikely choice of a song for a football team to be singing. Uh, you know this musical theatre number and 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 my my growing up and seeing the two separations of 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 the 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 footy fan and then the, you know, the musical theatre fan. I think, I think a lot of it stems from what it was talking about earlier about that uh, camaraderie and helping each other along in Liverpool, that attitude that prevails, especially in really poor times, you know? Yeah. And I think the fans just connected to it, this idea of you, you, you will never walk alone. 
I'll always there, be there with you, you know? Because when that was first released as a record, I mean, I'm talking apart from the musical, I'm talking apart from Carousel. When the, when the crowd were there and they started uh, waiting for the teams to come on the pitch, they would always play the current hits over the Tannhoy system, you know, over the speaker system at the ground. It's like background music. Yeah, yeah. And they started when, so when You'll Never Walk Alone came out, they started playing that. And then they noticed that the fans were all singing along with it more than they would sing along with anything else. So this got into a habit and they played it every week and the crowd got louder and louder singing it, you know? Yeah. And it just all of a sudden became the anthem of uh, Liverpool Football Club. What royalties are they paying off that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't what, well, they'd be going to Richard Rogers and Oscar Hammerstein, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, forgot about that. But so much so, over the main gate into the Anfield football ground at Liverpool is written, you'll never walk alone. It's in scroll. It's scrolled across the gate. Yeah. It's just part of it. Yeah. Well, that's it from us today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Ramble City. Be sure to check out Jose's book, journeyman there's a link to that in the show notes along with access to songs mentioned in the episodes a transcription remember to follow me at bradley mccaw official you can follow uh, and sign up to my mailing list at bradleymccawofficial.com to get access to new videos and music and lots of other little goodies that we've got coming out Quick note to say that we have some amazing guests coming up, Bob Evans, Marsha Hines. We're going to do a deep dive into the music of Fleetwood Mac with Kath Alcorn, which is very, very exciting. I can't wait for that. And I should say that we've been brought to you by OFM, Old Fashioned Media. We've been created, produced and hosted by me, Bradley McCaw, engineered by Kana Stats, edited by the great Caleb Sound design by Matt Eskin at Cross Point Solutions and original video design by Adam Shaw at Axis Productions. It's an amazing team. I mean, how good are they? You listen to this. Thanks for listening, everybody. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. Bye. This has been Ramble City, a podcast of conversations with interesting people musing on art, life, and their careers. Created and produced by Old Fashioned Media. To hear more and discover additional material from today's episode, visit OFM.com. Ramble City.